welcome to Let's Be Zeal, a podcast show that will bust the fitness myths and call out the bullshit within the health industry. I am Matt and I've spent the majority of my career helping people become the best version of themselves. Hello and welcome to episode four, The Kitchen is Calling. In this episode, I will be discussing the top 10 tips I can share for you guys when you find yourself in the kitchen or the supermarket. I can almost guarantee you that you will learn something from today's episode, so please remember, share this, pass the message on, tell your friends, tell your family to give it a download and listen. So welcome to episode four. Let's first start this episode with a bit of science and discuss habits. Habitual behaviours generally develop from repeated actions in stable contexts. This repetition can reflect people's efforts to achieve a certain goal. And this definition was found way back in 1993. So we've been researching habits and the behaviour for a number of decades. With that statement, stable contexts are essential or stable environments are essential. If we were to talk about driving being a task, then experienced drivers would be habitually driving and new drivers with minimal experience, they would have to consciously register their actions in order to drive safely. Some drivers may experience a diversion due to roadworks, which causes your brain to activate and consciously think about the new route. Or for example, you're driving your normal route back home habitually changing gear, pressing the radio buttons without looking, but then suddenly a car pulls out on you and you have to brake and swerve to change direction. These would be classed as unstable environments and that's why stable environments are essential for habits. Now, if you are a true fan of this podcast and have listened to my previous episodes, you know a large proportion of our daily activities are in fact habits essentially meaning there is minimal active thought needed to complete the tasks. In a study by Wendy Wood, she found that people were less likely to think about their behaviours when performing habitual tasks. Wood also found that people's thoughts wandered from their behaviours during habitual tasks around 50-60% to of the time. And this same study found that around 50% of our daily tasks are habitual. In fact, this 50% stat is actually considerably lower compared to the other studies I read, which I actually find really interesting. So we now know a bit more information about habits, but let's talk about the habit loop. And this is how habits are created. This is where you as an individual can help yourself in the kitchen or the supermarket to make better habits. Remember, later on in this episode, I will be sharing my top 10 tips in the kitchen that you can fix right now. So, scientists have been studying habits for decades and we're still finding out new information every year. Habits are hard to study and even harder to change. This is why I get fed up with reading the bullshit on social media about this new fantastic 21-day program that will change your life and this new formula of detox drinks that can make you drop 12 pounds in a week. These market employees set out and sell fast acting solutions 
that may give you quick results. But hopefully by now you have heard me blab on in my other episodes. Unfortunately, there is no quick fix. There is no one size fits all. And I'll be honest, even if the detox shakes do work for some, they may not work for you. Also, you'll probably get bored, stop the monthly subscription, and you'll put the weight back on twice as fast as you lost it. These companies will only ever care about one thing, and that's your direct debit. Changing habits is difficult, and it's not the fact that the formula of change doesn't exist, because it really does, but it's the one size does not fit all. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of ways to change a bad habit. Remember, I also have spoken about human diversity and how we as individuals are individual for a reason. We are all different and that's an amazing thing. Our behaviours are ours. How you act or react to something will be different to how I act or react to something. So diagnosing, identifying and altering habits is very difficult. But once the process has been nailed, then it's game over for your bad habits. Even though each bad habit may need a different approach, so let's talk about smoking, swearing, sugary snacks, alcohol, these bad habits may all need different approaches in order for them to be changed. I use the word change because habits don't necessarily need to be stopped due to this habit loop. Which is why you tend to see people who quit smoking, they will gain weight because their habit loop hasn't necessarily stopped. It's just changed from cigarettes to chocolate biscuits. Each person's habits are driven by different cravings. Now I've been using the term habit loop and that's exactly how a habit is developed. A loop of aspects that are repeated until the habit is formed. A loop consists of three major parts, a cue, a routine, and a reward. Understanding your own habits can be very difficult as you may experience some form of perspective blindness. Essentially, you're blind to your own habits until they're identified and you may need someone else to do this for you. You firstly need to identify the components of your loop. Once you have diagnosed the habit loop for a particular behaviour, you can now look for methods to replace your old actions with new actions. And let's hope the new actions are better, healthier and more beneficial to you. As a quick example, let me explain a habit loop which I have recently rectified, or at least I've tried to. I've started a new job in property management and for the first time in my life I'm working a 9 to 5 job Monday to Friday in an office and it's conveniently across the road from a co-op. Also a family run calf and let's say a, a workman's calf. If you know me, you know I love coffee and when I was working in the gym, I was having around four to five cups of coffee a day, which to be honest does sound like a lot, but I was working 14 hour days. I was arriving at the gym at 6 a.m. and locking up the gym at 8 p.m. Now I'm in the office, I find myself venturing out to get a coffee every single day. Now, I can go to the workman's cafe and get a good strong Americano for £1.60. I can go to the family run cafe and get a lovely flat white for £2.60. 
or I can go to the co-op and get an iced coffee for £2. Regardless of my choice, it was almost like clockwork. At 2 o'clock, 2.30, I would find myself leaving my desk to go get myself a coffee. Now, having a coffee is not a bad habit, but this particular habit was bad for my bank account. Let's say, on average, I was spending around £2 a day. That works out at £40 a month, just on coffee. So even if you have a habit that isn't necessarily unhealthy for you, you may have a habit that's financially unhealthy for you. Even at home, I have an espresso machine, I have a French press, I have a mocha pot, I have instant coffee, which all obviously makes me coffee for a fraction of the price. If I was to prepare, plan and execute coffee making at home, then I can still feed my craving of coffee, but at a much cheaper cost. So, how did I diagnose this habit and start changing my behaviour? Firstly, I had to understand my coffee habit loop. The first step is to acknowledge my routine. In my coffee-loving habit loop, the routine was the most obvious to identify, but it's my behaviour that's hard to change. My routine is that I start work, a few hours go by, I have my lunch break, and then after my lunch break, I find myself getting a bit tired, maybe the work has slowed down, and I find myself thinking about the next coffee. The next step for me is to ask myself some less obvious questions, which normal people don't tend to ask. What is the cue for this coffee routine? Is it low energy? Is it the taste of the coffee? Is it boredom? Is it that I just want another five minute break from work? Once I've answered these questions, then I need to find out what the actual reward is. Is it the taste of the coffee? Is it the caffeine boost? Is it the five minutes of fresh air out the office? Or is it the fact that I can have a natto with the staff in the cafe? Now it's time to experiment. It's almost trial by error, and this can sometimes take a while. We now need to experiment with the rewards. Rewards are very important as they satisfy our cravings. More often than not, we are not conscious of the cravings that drive our behaviour. In order to find out what cravings are driving particular behaviours, it's useful to experiment with different rewards. But please remember, this is not an instant solution. It may take a few days, it may take a few months. During this period, you need to let loose. Put no pressure on yourself to change and remember to take your time. On the first day of the experiment, adjust the routine ever so slightly so it delivers a different reward. For example, with me, I could have my lunch break, get up, go to the cafe, but I buy a different type of drink. The next day, I would delay my lunch break and maybe not go for a coffee at all. The day after that, I would get up, leave my office, walk around the block for five minutes and again return without a coffee. I would try multiple different routines to show myself that buying coffee as part of the routine is not important. Even if I wanted a coffee, I should prepare my coffee at home and take it into work. The point is to test different routines to determine which craving is driving my routine. Then I can ask myself, what was I actually craving? Was it a coffee or was it the fresh air? 
or was it the small break and the walk or do I just want to socialise? If after all my experiments and coffee is still wanted or needed, then I should prepare the coffee at home to save my bank account because personally, I do not consider the coffee drinking to be a bad habit for my health. I only consider this to be bad for my bank account. If you're someone that finds it difficult to self-analyze, then maybe get colleagues, friends or families to help you out with this process. Or an extreme but useful tip could be to write down this whole experiment. After each activity, I could write down the first three things that come into my mind when I return to my desk. Maybe my emotions, my random thoughts, reflections on my feelings or just the first three words that pop into my head. I could have even set an alarm on my phone at the usual time I would go out for my coffee. But before going, I would just give myself a few minutes and ask myself if I really needed a coffee. This may sound like some extreme things to do, but sometimes people need extreme actions in order to really help themselves in the future. At the end of the habit loop experiment, you can review your notes and analyse what you had put down. Also, by experimenting with different rewards, I was able to segregate what I was actually craving, which is paramount in rectifying the habits. Once I had figured out the routine and the reward, I, ha I now had to identify the cue. For me, the reward was actually the coffee. I simply love the taste of coffee and needed a coffee. Bringing us on to step three, isolating the cue. To isolate the cue, we can use similar systems as psychologists do, which is to identify categories of behaviours ahead of the time to examine in order to see patterns. Science suggests that habitual cues fall into one of five categories. Location, time, emotional state, other people, or immediately preceding actions. So if I was using these five categories and I was to write down my habit loop and identify my cue, it would sound like this. Where am I? I'm at my desk at work. What time is it? It's around 2.30 p.m. What's my emotional state? I'm a little bit tired. Who else is around? No one, as I work in my own office. What actions? preceded the urge of coffee. I yawned a few times and work has slowed down. Then that process is repeated for a few days, for a few weeks. Then that process is repeated for a few days, for a few weeks. And then you need to analyse and compare notes to see if you can see any similarities. For me, I realised that it was all at a very similar time and it was when work had slowed down. So I'd now figured out my own habit loop for coffee. I identified the reward driving my behaviour, the cue which was triggering it all, and the overall routine. After this, I can now start to alter my behaviour. I can change my routine to create a better habit loop. Remember, a habit is a formula our brain automatically follows. When I see the cue, I will do a routine in order to get the reward. To reformulate the habit loop, we need to make choices again. 
And the easiest way to do this, according to the research, is to make a plan. Within psychology, these plans are known as implementation intentions. So my implementation intention would be to make my own coffee at home and take it to work in a flask. Quickly, my morning plan would be to obviously wake up, have my morning routine, get ready for work, but additionally prepare my coffee to take into work. I would then go to work, I would have my lunch, and then around 2, 3 p.m. when my trigger will occur, I already have my reward, my cheaper homemade coffee. And truthfully, it does not always work, as sometimes I do not execute my plan and I forget to make my homemade coffee. So sometimes I do go out and buy a coffee from across the road, but even if I execute my plan 50% of the time, I'm essentially not spending £20 a month or £240 a year. The idea of this is that time after time, plan, repeated, 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 again, my morning routine of making coffee becomes habitual. So I habitually save myself £40 a month by not needing to buy a coffee from across the road. Obviously, changing some habits can be more difficult, but this framework is the place to start. Sometimes change takes a long time. Sometimes it requires repeated experiments and failures. But once you understand your own habit loop, once you identify the cue, the routine and the reward, you now have the choice to make better habits. So we've now got to the fantastic part of the show, my top 10 tips for behaving in the kitchen and the supermarket. And truthfully, if you cannot relate to at least one of these tips, then you must be a guru of health, so you don't need to listen to this podcast. But let's start off with snacking during the day. Now, if you snack during the day, that's absolutely fine. And you may find yourself doing this on a regular basis. But let's discuss a general habit loop which you may relate to. It's the weekend. There's no work, no routine. So you find yourself in the kitchen looking for something to eat. Remember, we need to identify what the cue is. Is it hunger? Is it boredom? Is it energy levels? Then you can note down what sort of snack you're having. Are they fruit snacks? Are they breakfast bars? Are they yogurts? Once you have found a pattern of your snacking, you can then have a choice. You can make a plan. If I'm going to snack during the day, I may want to change my chocolate bar snacks to protein bars or bananas. So now I can still snack, feed my craving, but I'm going to snack on something that's better for me. Number two, sugary snacks at night. Now this one is a bit more specific to the actual category of snack, but from experience with working with my clients, they had sugary snacks in the evening, like chocolates, biscuits or sweets. Remember, we need to identify why. Is it because your energy is low? Is it because your body is looking for that comfort food? Are you bored? Is it because you've just had a savoury dinner and now you want that sweet tooth? Is it because your partner is having a nighttime treat as well and you want to follow them? And this is the same format, but slightly different questions that you have to ask yourself. 
Okay, moving on to number three, portion control or size. Now this one, you may not understand that it's a habit, but for a general example, if you eat with your partner or your family, you may have the same portion size regardless of weight, height or gender. And if everyone wants to maintain their weight or you know weight management, the portion sizes may need to differ. And it's surprising how many families don't do this. So the habit is actually plating the food ready for dinner. Number four, alcohol. One of my favorite habits to discuss because I think so many people can relate to this one. And I'm not calling everyone alcoholics and I'm in no way, shape or form saying do not drink alcohol. But what I'm trying to identify is that having a beer or glass of wine immediately after work is probably down to a habitual response. If you deem this to be a problem and want to change it, you may want to look at changing the alcohol beverage to another drink or having a similar non-alcoholic replacement. So you can still get the taste of your drink without having the alcohol. You may identify that you have a drink with your partner and they're always the first one back from work. So you're almost just following in their footsteps. Remember, ask yourself several questions and experiment with the rewards. You may get away with having a cold glass of water instead of the alcohol beverage. We really need to understand what you're actually craving. Number five, preparation or non-preparation. I guess this one can be related to my coffee habit loop. If I was to prepare my homemade coffee, I was able to not spend £40 a month. If I did not prepare my coffee at home, I find myself going out to buy a coffee. It's the same with food. If you work in an office and you have a subway every day, let's say it's a foot long, of course, and then that's six pounds a day, or 30 pounds a week, or over 100 pounds a month, just on your Subway lunch. Even if it's a cheaper supermarket meal deal for three pound 50, um, that equates to 17 pound 50 a week. But by asking yourself questions, by being self-analytical, making conscious decisions, you can plan, prepare food at home, and save yourself some money whilst having a personal choice as to what you eat at lunch. Number six, water intake. One of the most important habits of everyday life. It's not just for the kitchen. You need to ask yourself, do you forget to drink water? Do you drink, but it's not enough? Do you have fizzy drinks instead or juices? I guess this isn't a habit of doing, it's a habit of not doing. But we can create a good habit by introducing water instead of the sugary drinks. It's surprising how many people do not know how much water we need on a daily basis. A quick fix of this is investing in a nice water bottle. And with that financial investment, you may be more inclined to fill it up and use it on a regular basis. Or you can leave post-it notes around your kitchen, house, your office letting you know that you should probably take a sip of water. I also say that if your mouth is dry and your body starts to tell you that you're thirsty, you're already too late. Water and hydration are key for many things such as skin care, brain function, concentration and even bad breath. So please, please, please 
make a good habit of drinking plenty of water. Number seven, repetitive, boring eating. Again, this isn't really a habit that people have, but it's something that can cause bad habits. If you're someone that may not be talented in the kitchen, that's absolutely fine, but you may find yourself cooking and eating the same dish every day. Even if you have a shitty PT who thinks they're going to save the world by telling you to eat boiled rice, chicken breast and broccoli, I would suggest you slap the Tupperware box out their hands right now. Healthy eating comes with variety, which comes with being adventurous in the kitchen. If you want to lose weight quick, then fine, eat your boring meals, but ask yourself how long is this going to last? As soon as you stop eating that particular dish and go back to eating normal people food, you're going to add the weight back on. And this is because your crappy PT didn't tell you about the other methods of weight management. If your food is boring and repetitive, you're probably more likely to make bad decisions in the kitchen and the supermarket. So for this next section, can you please just adjust your audio accordingly and enjoy the next section of the episode? And then number eight, cooking for fussy families. Now, I hope that parents also listen to this episode, as this one is obviously for the parents that cook for their families. But parents, in fact, anyone who cooks for others, you do not need to live out of the freezer. It's not cheaper. It's not quicker. It's not even that easy. The myth that kids don't like vegetables is just bullshit. When I was growing up, I'm glad my mum and dad were strict with me. If it was on my plate, I either ate the food or I went hungry. And that wasn't a form of punishment. It was the form of teaching. Now I'm 23 and I'm yet to find a food that I do not like. In fact, if you're listening to this right now, have a bit of fun. Comment down below. Send me a message. Name any food or ingredient that you know. And I probably either like it or I'm yet to try it. And I thank my parents for that specific reason. If you are a parent, do not slave away in the kitchen, cooking different meals for different people. It's 2020. We don't have a lot of time on our hands nowadays. It's time to start cooking, gaining knowledge, experimenting with ingredients, cooking a big dish for the whole family that everyone can enjoy and they will enjoy. I bet your little Michael likes peas. He's just been a nightmare at the dinner table. If he's hungry, he will eat the peas, I promise you. It fills them up for longer. It gives them more sustainable energy throughout the day. And obviously the vitamins and minerals that come along with that is better. Okay, fantastic. We're on to the last two. We have number nine, knowledge of food and the secret of calories. Again, this is not really a habit, but it's a habit of not knowing. So if your habit is to have a few nuts and seeds and granola for breakfast every day with your your Greek yogurt and your drizzle of honey, then fantastic. On Instagram and social media, this obviously looks like an amazing breakfast. And it is very healthy. It's very nutritious. But nuts, seeds, honey all have very secretive calories 
And if you're not aware of this secret, you may be having a lot of your weekly calorie intake within just your breakfast meals. Same goes for things like avocados and a lot of ingredients which are deemed to be super healthy, which they are, but they are also calorie dense. So just acknowledging that calories can be in healthy foods and then controlling your portion size will definitely help you in the long run. Okay, number 10, seeing and smelling food. Now this one is a bit of a psychological effect uh, and the science of food and potentially why McDonald's has its ventilation systems facing the car park. Now if you were to smell the food before you actually see it, the brain actually assumes that you're about to consume the food. And I ask, is this why fast food places have their ventilation systems facing the direction of the public? The brain starts ramping up the digestive system, telling the organs to get ready for food. Now imagine if your workplace is situated in a city centre where your office is surrounded by restaurants and fast food spots, or your colleagues have gone out to Greg's, McDonald's, Subway, you can smell the food from across the office and again that trigger occurs. Your brain will be triggered and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're inspired to do the same. Even if you're clearing out your plates at home, the meal has finished, but remember, little Michael didn't finish his mash and peas and gravy. Well, before chucking it in the food bin, you've probably had the extra few scoops. Now I know only peas and mash and a small spoonful isn't a lot, but every meal over the year, that definitely adds up. So there we go, 10 of my tips that I can offer you. Obviously, these are quite short, sharp and snappy tips. I can definitely dive into, into these tips a lot deeper with more detail, uh, but I don't want to blab on for too long. This episode's already been quite long as it is. But before I finish this episode, I just want to include that these habits are heavily revolved around your behaviour in the supermarkets before you even get home with the food. A lot of the time, if you have the food in your house, you're going to eat it. You've bought it for that exact reason. So that means your behaviour needs to change in the supermarkets. If you go in to buy snacks, be conscious of your snacks that you buy. Swap out your unhealthy snacks for potentially better alternatives. If you still buy snacks and treats, that's obviously absolutely fine. You deserve it. But then control how much you buy. Because if you're like me, a packet of chocolate covered digestives get finished in one sitting with a cup of coffee. So for me, I tend to not buy them on a regular basis. Maybe once on the weekend, I treat myself. But once they're open, they're definitely being finished. So there we have it, my top 10 kitchen tips that you can hopefully relate to, react to and act upon right now. No matter how big or small habits are normal and some are worse than others. I'd also like to point out that not all habits are bad. We need to remember to be self-aware, 
conscious of your decisions and identify the cue, routine and reward. If you do need any extra help with this process, please do not hesitate to contact me on social media, which is MattDoesHealth on Instagram. This has been episode four. The kitchen is calling. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.